And it's about that time. Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is on the show with me as always. Eric, it's a lovely Monday morning. How are you doing? Pretty darn good. Ready for week two of fall camp. I can't believe we've already been through one week. It's crazy. It's it's strange because we get the media emails dictating us, telling us, you know, when and where practice media availability will be at. And it's titled week three. but <laughs> Right. But it, they've only had one full week of practice because they started on a Friday, Saturday, had a Sunday, and then they were Monday off. And so it's only been one full week of fall camp, yet technically they're on their third week. You're right. My fault. It is week three of fall camp. That's, <laughs> that, and that right there makes fall. it even crazier that it's week three because it's only been eight practices. I don't know if we can really count a full week with the only practice two or three uh, out of those seven days. So uh, I'm going to stick with week two. But, yeah, by technicality, it is week three. Uh, and coming off the weekend, Eric, the first scrimmage of fall camp is in the books. Yeah, unfortunately, media was not able to watch. So we're, we're taking a lot of this from Coach Cristobal's uh, word afterwards, but it sounds like a really positive scrimmage. Um, you know, I think a couple of the, the, the big quotes he said was, uh, that this game or that this scrimmage, both sides made plays all over the field. And then he also said it was better than what, what he would say was a typical first scrimmage. Um, and he attributed that just to kind of the continuity of the team being together for a while. But, uh, you know, you, you listen to everything he said and, and, and he had mentioned some sloppiness, a couple of turnovers here, uh, maybe some penalties that he wasn't too happy with. But all in all, it sounded like uh, a really positive first uh, showing for them. Not just veteran guys mentioned that a lot of the young guys played well, and we'll get to some names here in a minute, but uh, everything that he said afterwards sort of indicates that it was a really positive first scrimmage, and, and we should mention they're going to scrimmage again on Saturday, and then again the following Saturday in preparation for the Auburn game. So they've got two more scrimmages, I believe, uh, upcoming. But uh, again, it sounds like first one off the docket, so good, so far so good. Yeah, biggest thing for him, it's kind of funny, was because uh, we asked Alex Mirabel, Oregon's offensive line coach, just kind of what was, what will qualify as a successful scrimmage in his eyes. And his first comment was just being healthy, coming off the field, being <laughs> right. healthy. Uh, and listening to, to Mario, seeing the team come out of Saturday's scrimmage, um, there really wasn't any major injuries to, to report. And I think that in and of itself is, is a victory for Oregon football, especially <laughs> considering this is the year that Mario Cristobal also mentioned how important it is that that they have a full 85 scholarship roster now and that the last year they were 12 or so scholarships below that and you know that's a you know having 12 more scholarship players makes just everything better for Oregon football now being completely healthy or as healthy as you possibly could be coming out of a scrimmage is even better news yeah you know you you always are concerned about these competition days just because tend to be more physical. Cristobal did say a couple times that it was physical. The guys attacked the scrimmage uh, in the appropriate manner. Uh, but you worry about when that happens. The guy's going to get his ankle rolled over, some, maybe something worse. But, again, it, it sounds like they came out of it. Not, I'm not going on wood right now. It sounds <laughs> like they came, they came out of it pretty darn healthy. Uh, and, again, right now, Brendan Schooler is really the only player on the team who is out for an extended period of time. I should, we should mention I think Justin Collins is still working through uh, right. a, knee, a knee issue. He's a walk-on wide receiver. But, uh, Cam McCormick, down the line, you go through these guys that have been missing practice. It doesn't sound like any of them should keep these players out, at least to what we know of right now, through the, through the first game of the season. 
Um, if we are t- talking injuries really quickly here, I think one of the standouts from the scrimmage, at least per Mario Cristobal, was DJ James, a true freshman cornerback who was, who was playing extensively in place of Diomede Lenore, who was working through um, an injury of his own, was held out of the scrimmage. And uh, Cristobal had some really positive things to say about James. And uh, this was really the first time we'd heard his name mentioned extensively. I think uh, Dante Williams was asked about James and said, yeah, he's coming along well. He's, he's making some plays. I think similar things had been said by Thomas Graham and Diomede Lenore himself, uh, that just that he was making some plays and, and making some strides. But this is the first time we really heard glowing remarks about him. And, uh, again, it's one of those things with the way camp plays out. Uh, it's hard to tell which guys are going to make impacts. And hearing yet another true freshman's name mentioned, and he said he showed up really big, made some big plays in the scrimmage, this is Crystal Ball speaking, uh, indicates that maybe this is a guy that we're kind of sleeping on and, and maybe is a name to know this fall. Yeah, and you you also want to throw another name out there that's generated a lot of discussion from Mario Cristobal after the scrimmage, and that was uh, Khalif Alisi, uh, a guy. um, And I should also say this, Keith Hayward, now that this just dawned on me right then and there, Keith Hayward also mentioned Khalif as a guy that's been pushing Javon Holland and Steve Stevens for reps at that safety position. Um, Hayward said ahead of the scrimmage that, you know, Javon's kind of got that that starting safety spot kind of locked up. But he is being pushed, and you know, if he slips up, he he could lose his spot. But he did he did kind of you know let the cat out of the bag that you know Javon's the starter. Right. But it's kind of what happens behind him, and and that's a battle between Steve Stevens and Kali Felici, and that you know both those guys are going at it. And and Cristobal said that you know Felici was another guy that opportunity presented itself in the scrimmage for more reps, and he performed well. You know, I'd be curious to see where he was lining up because Dante Williams, there was a lot of Khalif Felici talk on, I think it would have been, what, Thursday when the, the yeah. defensive coaches spoke, because Dante Williams, the corners coach, said Halisi was another guy who was actually getting a little bit of run uh, at corner from time to time, which is the position he played last year before moving over to safety. So, yeah, I mean, again, it, we, we feel like one week, we, couple, you know, first couple of days, it's Jamal Hill and it's Mike Mikhail Wright, and then suddenly it becomes Khalif Alisi and DJ James. Steve Stevens' name mentioned very positively. It, it just seems like there's a, a high number of these young defensive backs that the coaches are really excited about, and you can, again, add DJ James and Khalif Alisi, two guys who I think we hadn't heard a ton about in the first five or six, you know, opportunities to speak with players and coaches, but who now in the last couple have really heard their name prominently spoken. On the offensive side of the football, um, we know Justin Herbert connected with a touchdown pass. Uh, I believe it was to Juwan Anderson. Is that right? I, I, it was. I think it was. Well, so I know Brian Addison caught a touchdown pass. Yes. I think wasn't that from was that from yes. Herbert? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Let me. Let me. I have this notes written down, and unfortunately, I just you know typical me. Forget about it, and it's you know so much down the line. And I'm well, trying to find. While you're looking for it, I'll, I'll say that uh, J- uh, Johnny Johnson was a player that Cristobal also spoke highly of. I don't believe he caught the touchdown, but he said he made. No. he came so up. So really the good. notes I have, the notes I have, were Justin Herbert threw a bomb uh, to Brian Addison, Tyler Shuck threw a touchdown pass to Micah Pittman. Uh, both of those were big plays. Um, Herbert was connecting a lot of his passes to Juwan Johnson naturally, Johnny Johnson, and Micah Pittman, as well as Addison. Um, and then I, I think at receiver, with Schooler injured, it's kind of – it's a negative because it, it you take away a 
veteran presence at that position, a guy that knows what he's doing. But at the same time, I think it kind of simplifies your options in a way. You kind of get what I'm saying? Like you had all these options and now you take one of them away and it kind of seems like your core group of maybe five or four players is Jawan Johnson, Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Micah Pittman, and Brian Addison. Like you kind of know like those are your five best. Right now. It, yeah, it does feel that way with, with maybe Josh Delgado as number six, I guess, right, right now. Um, but yeah, I agree. And, and it's nice to hear Brian Addison's name mentioned with the pass from Justin Herbert, which indicates he was working with the first team. Um, because we haven't seen a lot of that so far this fall. And I think the upsides there, I think in the spring, he was one of those guys who prior to, I think it was a finger or a hand injury was, was really making a lot of moves. I mean, people felt really good about what they'd show, he'd shown in the first, I don't know, five to six days of spring and then, has a hand issue, misses kind of the rest of spring or is kind of limited throughout. He was wearing a big club, um, which obviously is not ideal if you're playing wide receiver. And but, but nice to hear him back, getting some run with the first team, getting an opportunity to possibly push for a starting spot. Um, you know, you, I think you probably figure right now Jawan Johnson is pretty locked in at one spot. You can probably say between Jalen Red and Micah Pittman, that's pretty locked up. But it's probably Johnny Johnson and Brian Addison at the other spot would be my guess right now. And, uh, it sounds like both guys made big plays in the scrimmage. And again, I think that's a position battle where you might not have your one or two stars like that Oregon had last year with the Dylan Mitchell, but I think you're going to have three to four or five guys who are very capable and, and you're starting to see that develop right now. Yeah. It's all about now. Maybe this kind of is our natural segue, um, into just the, the, I almost said the second, the third week of fall <laughs> camp and, those things that you're, you know, you're keeping an eye out for, you know, the, the important things. Um, for me, on the offensive side of the football, in the, in the third week of fall camp, coming off the first scrimmage, I'm going to be paying attention to just kind of what the hierarchy is at that receiver spot. And do we see some jostling? Mario Cristobal said after the scrimmage, I asked him, kind of, what's the process of breaking film down? And they go, he said, as a staff, they go through it. And one of the things that they do is they bring up, okay, where do we need to make adjustments in our organizational chart? And how will that reflect the receiver position group after the scrimmage? Yeah. And I think one, one for me, and I think I've kind of neglected watching the cornerback group just because Thomas Graham and Diamond Lenora are so clearly at the top or feel that way. I now want to go watch DJ James and David Davis is another name that I think Cristobal had some really nice things yes. to say about from the scrimmage too. Uh, somebody that it sounded like was, was kind of all over the place. Uh, I want to see, I'm going to go focus and spend some time watching those guys and see how those guys are developing. Because again, I think the, the feeling coming into camp was, okay, it's, it's Graham, it's Lenore, Mikhail Wright had a great spring. It's those three guys and then a bunch of question marks. And well, maybe it sounds like at least from the scrimmage that we're getting some answers from James and from, from David Davis. So those are two guys who, I probably haven't watched a ton of D- Davis has been dinged up a fair amount this fall, but those are, I, I want to kind of follow up and see this, this DJ James that had such a great uh, first scrimmage, just kind of see what he looks like going through drills. And uh, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to get, you know, this last week we should say we didn't really get to see much of the defensive two deep. They didn't really show that when media was watching. I'd love if they did show it. I'd be curious to see who's with that second team because it had been kind of unclear who that fourth corner was. And it seems like those two guys are probably kind of jockeying for that spot. Yeah, and, and then it's, I, I think there's two other, there's one other position battle that's, that's really interesting to me, um, on the offensive side of the football again, and, and that's that offensive line, because I've said this 
a ton, and I feel like I'm beating it, you know, I'm saying it too much, but no one really expected, the, you know, a hot, heavy contested, you know, position battle going along, going on at the offensive line because, you know, five starters back, they're being hailed as, you know, a top three at, at worst offensive line in the country, um, you know, and yet there's a position battle waging on between, and it's not really a, a position, it's it's two positions, it's two players that play different spots, and Alex Mirabel, the offensive line coach, described it as, we have six starters, and it's just finding the five that best give us that opportunity to win that week, and it's Dallas Warmack, a, a senior right guard, and Brady Aiello, a, a senior right tackle. Um, those two guys are, are you know flip-flopping every day to, to basically to see what combination of five guys when you mix them in with sophomore left tackle Panay Sewell, senior left guard Shane Lemieux, center Jake Hansen, uh, and who's a senior, and then also senior Calvin Throckmorton, who starts at right tackle but also can play left guard or right guard. Watching that battle play out, and then you know, does someone else continue to rise up? I mean, we've heard a lot about Stephen Jones, we've we've heard a lot about Malasala, we've we've heard a lot about Alex Forsyth. Can can someone else make it like a three team, a three man race or a four man race uh, for a starting spot in a group that was considered you know as strong as any group at, at Oregon going into fall camp? And I think a thing with that that was interesting about what Mirabal said is I wonder if there's a scenario where they're going to almost rotate week-to-week starters. Like like we've spoken about, maybe they'll do that a little bit defensively with Nick Pickett and Brady Breeze based upon matchups or something. Could they do that theoretically with Aello at right tackle one week and Wormack at right guard the next, where they just kind of think, well, the way the other team's going to attack us, we prefer to have this player here or there. I don't know if that's something they're actually considering. Uh, but that that is sort of an interesting element, and that is, I think, offensively to me, besides the wide receiver group, the most interesting thing is how that offensive line sorts itself out. Uh, defensively, for me, uh, another one, I mentioned Nick Pickett and Brady Breeze. We've talked about that a fair amount. That's something I'm certainly keeping an eye on, just because it does feel like there's you know, an open spot right there. But that nickel position continues to, to make, you know, I, I guess I'm just focused on the secondary this week, but that nickel position, based upon what everybody said uh, earlier this week, or I guess on Thursday, um, it really sounds like it, Hockey Woods has made some strides, you know, to push Ferone McKinley, to push Jamal Hill. That's a three-man race that's really interesting as well. And so you now have a number of spots in the secondary. Again, like the offensive line, I think coming into camp, we kind of thought it was fairly locked in, and, and I, it certainly isn't. And that speaks to the competition on this team where you've got uh, a guy like Nick Pickett, who started, I think, 12 games last year, and who's, his job might be up for grabs. And you've got uh, a nickel situation where, Verone McKinley was pretty clearly the top guy all spring, and now his job's not fully safe. So those are kind of the areas, those are the things I'm curious to see is we've got these, a couple of these spots in the secondary now where, where it feels like we thought one thing was going to happen, and now it feels like it could go a couple different ways. So I think that's some things I'm, I'm curious to kind of see if, how that develops this, this week. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsors here on the Austin Audible's podcast, and uh, Eric and I will be back uh, talking Oregon Duck football Camp week number three. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Brame. Eric Scopel is also on the show with me like he is Almost every episode. Um, we were talking fall camp, kind of what we're going to be watching for, for the third week of camp, second week, whatever you want to call it. Um, now, though, let's take a step back a little bit and look at a bigger perspective. Um, over the last week or so, there's been a couple things that have come out that have talked a lot about surprise teams or teams that could see a leap is what one t- one article described it as in year two of a coaching staff or, you know, what's a, what's a coach poised for a big jump in his time at that school? Um, Mara Cristobal has been brought up multiple times in these articles. Um, is that surprising to you, Eric? I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm starting. I mean, I, I am high on this Oregon team. I have them winning the league, so it doesn't surprise me that they're being picked like this way. But at the same time, I, mean, I, I just go back just two years ago, and this is a team that's basically you know made up of the key guys or made up of the same team from two years ago of of a team that went seven and six. And I'm I'm kind of surprised that the national narrative is all on Oregon, and you know. Going out there and saying that this is a team that that could win the conference and and whatnot, I'm surprised that they've made this quick of a jump back to where they were from a respectability standpoint. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with the fact that maybe the the leap has come quicker than expected to some degree. And of course, we have to see how the season plays out before we say they've made any jump. I mean, you know, it's one thing to be considered a top ten, top twelve team. Uh, we should mention, I think John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News had them ninth in his AP poll. The AP poll comes out, I think, sometime early next week. It comes out on the 19th of August. Uh, so we'll get a better idea of where they're considered nationally than by the media. But, uh, yeah, maybe I am a little bit surprised with how quickly some of this has come at the same time. Uh, I think Cristobal was benefited by the fact that he has a very talented quarterback who has been, due to the fact that he started, you know, half the season as a true freshman, and has a lot of the NFL intangibles and those metrics. He's a name person. You know, he is one of the bigger names in college football and that moves the needle a little bit. And then heck, you know, you look at the rest of the team and the way they've constructed it. And that's maybe where Cristobal has been a little bit ahead of maybe what the expectation is. But I just think they've built a really, really strong team. We talked about this in the podcast and maybe it's surprising that the national media has paid close enough attention to kind of pick up on these things. But you, you look at this team, they're a pretty complete ball club. I mean, outside of question marks at receiver, which I think we both feel a little bit more optimistic about after uh, week one or week two, whatever you want to call the last couple of practices um, than we did before. 
but it's just a it's a pretty well-rounded team and i think it is probably justified that they're being spoken about in that in that manner in part because like we've talked about previously i genuinely think they have the most talented roster in the conference and so it's probably justified they're getting that sort of consideration but i agree to a certain extent that maybe it's happened a little quicker than even i expected you know when he took over and um you know and and i think he took over and there were probably some question marks about him just his resume you know you look at mario cristobal's resume wasn't somebody who his his record Previously, Kaiser head coach doesn't jump off the page. doesn't make you get super excited. Um, you know, he's a lifelong position coach, basically, prior, you know, aside from being a head coach. So maybe there's some, can he do this on the biggest stage? But I do think the way the team sort of rallied around him and pushed for him to get the job indicated to me, at least at the time, that there's something here. And, you know, you, know, you don't see, you know, 80 or so college students, you know, pick a guy and say, this is our coach, unless there's something special there. So I always sense that there was a, a, something positive brewing there. But again, yeah, I think the speed of which they've kind of gone from a five, six, seven win program to now being a team considered potentially as a, as a dark horse college football playoff has maybe come a little quicker than we expected. I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm all in on this program as, the Pac-12 champion this season. You know, I voted for them for that. But I'm just, I'm kind of surprised at not even necessarily the, the, the conference media members voting them, but they, they, the media, in the, the Pac-12 media voted Oregon second uh, in the conference. So they didn't technically vote them first, but the difference was one vote. So it was essentially a split vote. Um, and, but more so of just, an, I'm, I'm, Really impressed that in, yeah. in one year under Mario Cristobal that, uh, a year they went nine and four and there was some really bad games in, in that season. Um, that Oregon is, is being viewed in the way that they are, um, as a team that, that could take a leap from nine and four. And when you take a leap from nine and four, I mean, there's only so much you can do. I mean, <laughs> it's true. We're, we're, we're talking like 11 and two or 12 and one, uh, type of seasons because, you know, Going ten and three, I wouldn't consider that a leap. Yeah, no, I wouldn't either. And I think Cristobal even kind of addressed that after the scrimmage of just saying, you know, when you get when you go from nine wins, it's hard to to, to make much of a jump forward because there's just not that much ground to make. But it comes down to executing and working on the little things. And, and this is kind of coach speak, and this is how he talks. If you can watch his interviews, he'll speak for a long time and he'll be very uh, specific about some things. But it, a lot of it comes down to just execution and. That's certainly what they're focused upon, and I, I think that mentality probably plays a large role in kind of the development we've seen. I think that, and we have to mention, I think, the recruiting success, because while you're right that a lot of the guys that were on the team that won seven games a couple of years ago um, are still key players on this year's team, there's also a handful of guys that have been brought in these last couple of recruiting classes that have really elevated the standard, who, who at least look like they're going to elevate the standard here. So I think it's a combination uh, you know, that development of, of, of the way they approach things around, around the team, you know, just a practice meetings, all of that stuff. And then also just the way they recruit and the talent acquisition has been tremendous and honestly unparalleled, uh, by a, you know, by a previous Oregon football coach. All right. Pro football focus has also come out with their top 50 players for the college football season. Um, and I, I think we need to look at this because there's four players from Oregon's roster listed in the top 50. And 
I look at my, I, I look at that and think, wow, like I did not realize. I mean, are you buying that four of the top 50 players in the country come from Oregon? I'm not shocked by it um, to a certain degree because I do think there is the top tier talent there. Justin Herbert, obviously being, uh, you know, right right at the top there. I don't think that surprises. I think if Justin Herbert hadn't been in the top 50, that would be (laughs) absolutely. He's uh, 12th, by the way. Yeah, that'd be absolutely stupefying. The other three players being offensive linemen, I think, just speaks to. And it's, we should mention it's Calvin Throckmorton, Shane Lemieux, and, and Penny Sue. So I don't have the order in front of me. Matt probably can chime in really quickly with where those guys were each ranked. Yeah, so let's let's do that real quick. Yeah, so run Penny, down. Uh, Penny Sewell is the first player listed for Oregon. He's 36th in the country. So Oregon has – not only do they have four players in the top 50, they have four players in the top 40, top 36, which is – Pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, Shane Lemieux comes in, offensive guard, at 32. And then Calvin Throckmorton is 26th, offensive tackle. And then Justin Herbert is 12th. Um, yeah, those are, those, those are the positions. I think the Sewell thing, what really stands out is, is clearly pro football focus is paying very close attention to what happens on the field because – if you were just a, a national media member and you maybe didn't play, pay very close attention to Oregon in the first half of the season, Sewell didn't play in the second half. If you just tuned in for, you know, like the Washington State and the Utah game, you don't even, he's not even on the field. This just to me speaks to the fact that pro football focus is, is one of the best ways to kind of measure that stuff because if you, if you follow them, they're very detail based. They, they seem to focus, they seem to follow every single player in the country and have, uh, you know, they grade each play and each game for each player. Um, that's, that's pretty in depth. And Sewell being involved there would maybe have surprised me if this was some national, like if it was the athletic or even 24 seven sports top 50 ranking. I might not have expected that, but I think pro football focus, just the way they approach it kind of, it makes some sense he's up there, but maybe that, that's probably the biggest surprise to me because it is a, it is a guy going into his sophomore season, plays offensive line of all positions, not a, not a real exciting position. Um, and, and he only played seven games last season. Uh, that one maybe surprises me. The other two are guys who outside of pro football focus probably haven't gotten the national respect they deserve, frankly. I mean, I mean, the fact that neither player was on the all conference first or second team last year right. is still stupefying to me. I just don't understand that. Uh, I think it's crazy, but it, it's good to see both of those guys acknowledged and recognized. I think very much deserving for both of those players as well. That's, I, I, it, it's crazy to think, and maybe this kind of goes with your theory of, you know, college sports, at least from the Olympic level or the women's basketball level of, of getting a group and just kind of growing them over a three or a four year period. Because you look at Lemieux, you look at Throckmorton, you look at Herbert, they were all freshmen that started for Oregon in 2016. You know, they're all going to be four year starters. Penny Sewell will be a four year starter if he even stays at Oregon for four years. Um, he's a sophomore, and it's, so it's kind of just maybe it's just a, a tip of the cap to the development of the of the staff, a tip of the cap to those guys. You know, they obviously had to be talented to come in uh, and and make the top fifty. That you just can't turn any one player into a top fifty player in, in three or four years time. You have to be talented going in. Um, but I think this also this also puts a lot of pressure on the offensive side of the football for Oregon because 
you guys got to produce. You guys got to put up good numbers. You guys got to put up impressive scoring numbers and impressive stats. You have to be dominant on the side, on the offensive side of the football. Not maybe every single snap, but for the most part, because in theory, you have three of the best offensive linemen in the country and you have one of the, the best 15 players in all of college football who's a quarterback. Yeah, this, if this is not a prove-it year for the offensive line, I don't know what is. And I think they've already done a pretty decent job of proving some things. But even last year at times, you look at the numbers, uh, they, they did not run the ball as effectively as they t- traditionally have. I think some of that has to do with kind of changing the offense a little bit from, from what had been done previously. Uh, but that was notable. Uh, there were even games where I thought Justin Herbert didn't have as much time as he probably should have. So certainly, uh, you know, I think a season to kind of prove that those rankings are deserving. Here's a question for you, though, Matt. Is there any other player on Oregon's roster right now that you think should have been deserving of being in that top 50 or so? I think the only one would be Troy Dye. Right. Um, not entirely sure, though, that he should be in the top 50. Uh, I mean, I think you could you could make a case for that. Um, they do have Evan Weaver of California um, ranked 50th. And I think Die is a better player than Weaver is, so maybe that's where I would put him. Yeah, yeah. Just the Die thing. I think what makes it again. What's interesting about just the way they go through doing this stuff is that Die is statistically a really tremendous player at Oregon over three years, but clearly there might be some things that don't stand out in like a traditional counting stat box, you know, box score that, that a uh, pro football focus notices would die or something. I don't know, but I, I, that was the one to me that I agree. I, I would not have been surprised to see him somewhere, you know, in the mid forties or something like that, but you know, to each his own. And I think we all know the caliber of player he can be this year for Oregon. Another, I guess maybe a question here would be in, in I'll give my answer, and then you can give yours. I can give you some time to think about it. Who would be the player on Oregon's team not named Troy Dye that would work his way into the top 50? Because I think there's a couple options here that that you could see play out. Um, for me, if, if, if I'm going to find someone that, that's going to crack into the, the top 50, um, I, I'm going to go – I'm going to pick two names. Because I think one of them will, would have the best chance to do it. And it's, ironically enough, uh, it's the offensive side of the football. Um, I'm going to pick Juwan Johnson or C.J. Verdell. Just because I think one of those guys is going to have a monster year for Oregon. Juwan could, could slide in and kind of duplicate what Dylan Mitchell did the year before that, that receiver. Or... CJ Verdell could, you know, slide in and, you know, he was one of only a few FBS players to run for a thousand and, and have 300 yards receiving. He scored 10 touchdowns. I mean, the, those numbers go up a little bit. You know, maybe he, he climbs to 1300 yards rushing and 400, 500 yards receiving and his touchdowns go from 10 to 18. You know, he, he could instantly become, you know, a benefactor of having three of the best 50 players in the country blocking for him. Sometime last week, Thomas Graham told me he was going to prove to the country he's the best cornerback in the country. Um, I'm going to take him for his word on that one and, and say I think he's going to have – maybe he's not the best corner in the country, but I think it's going to be a thing where as the season progresses, you, you recognize that he's kind of put it all together. And we've, we've seen glimpses of it during his first two seasons, a pretty productive player as a freshman and a pretty productive player, even more productive player last year as a sophomore. 
Um, I think he's going to take another step, and I think he's going to be that lockdown corner Oregon needs who can line up against the top-tier guys and, and kind of keep them quiet. We saw it last year a little bit against Nikhil Harry of Arizona State where, where he played really, really well. Both he and Dan Dorlinor played really well in that game. I, I just think there's another level for him to take, and he's clearly confident. He's clearly you know striving for those kind of goals. So I think he's somebody that maybe he feels a little under the radar as a pick right now, but there just seems to be a lot of confidence. And, and, and again, the way the teammates are talking about him, I think there's another gear for him to, to take this year as, as a junior. Lots to watch for this week for Oregon football. We'll have another podcast later on in the week. Um, we're recording this on Monday the 12th. Uh, the Ducks have Monday off. Tuesday they go uh, back to practice. Mario he- Mario Cristobal, the head coach and defensive student athletes, will be speaking with the media. We'll get to watch that portion of practice. Uh, we'll also get to watch on Wednesday when offensive athletes talk, and then on Thursday we'll watch again, and offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo, defensive coordinator, coordinator Andy Avalos will speak with the media, and then that'll be the last time we get to watch much of practice uh, for the week. Friday they have practice, and uh, it'll be, again, offense and defensive players, and then on Saturday after another scrimmage, um, the Ducks will be scrimmaging again the second time on Saturday, August 17th, and after that Mario Cristobal will speak with the media, so... Highly encourage you guys to go to DuckTerritory.com throughout the week as we continue to cover football, fall camp. And, Eric, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we are now officially less than three weeks away from traveling to Dallas for Auburn. Um, I don't know. I think I fly in a day earlier than you do, um, but we need to start planning our trips for barbecue, uh, our trips to – Check out high school football. Oh, and we also have to cover. We also have to work, but uh, try and squeeze that in as well. Yeah, I'll leave the barbecue picking out to you. Usually, usually you're the one who makes those decisions, and rightfully so. All right. So uh, for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prem, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. We will talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.